Well, we're going to uh, carry on our series in the Reformation uh, that we've been doing. One our uh, fourth solar, uh, which is uh, going to be my favourite subject. But if you can turn to Galatians uh, chapter 2, we're going to read verses 11 to 21. Put your hand up if you need a Bible. If you don't, put your hand up and you haven't got a Bible. I trust you know it off by heart. But there's no tests, so you're safe. Galatians 2, 11 to 21, it's page 1169, if you're using the church Bible, 1169, Galatians 2, 11 to 21. You remember there were five sola that we're looking at, which, uh, which really emanated from the Reformation. Uh, we've had scripture alone, uh, we had faith and grace alone, and uh, today it's Christ alone, sola Christos, sola means alone, so sola Christos, Christ alone, and these are the uh, big doctrinal themes that came out of the Protestant Reformation, foundational set of biblical principles held by theologians and churchmen down the ages uh, to be central, thought to be central to uh, the doctrine of salvation as taught by Western uh, Protestant. So, Reformation series, Sola Christos, Christ alone, and I'm going to take the text uh, of Galatians 2, uh, 11 to 21, words of Paul the Apostle preacher to the Gentiles. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. When they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We, who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for it is righteousness, sorry, sorry, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So, powerful words. Um, I guess all of us, uh, in a sense, we get brought, brought up on achievement. Do you ever feel that? You get brought up on achievement. You get praise for achievement. Do you agree? You know, when you do things as a little baby, you know, first time you walk, well done. There's nothing wrong with that. I did it myself. Walked and saw my son walk as well. And you get a well done. And if you carry on through life, you do good things, you get rewards. Well done. But then, and I had that in my own childhood, but then, as you know, the teenage years, uh, years, years, years hit and uh, things can go slightly astray. Have you ever witnessed that as well? No? No? I did. I went slightly astray, or if you ask my parents, um, 
I went so astray, they could almost not see me. Uh, so I went astray, but um, I guess a lot of us can relate to that, or if we've got children, sometimes they have a bit of a teenage wobble, wobble don't they? You have the terrible twos, and then you get off lightly for the next 10 or 12 years, then it all goes a bit pear-shaped, and you have these teenage, teenage years. Or at least I did. I think a lot of you are better than me because you're not overly agreeing with me, but if I ever meet your parents, I will ask them. But there was this stage I had, I got to about 16, and I met this girl, and that's all the trouble started. Nothing's changed. Right from the beginning, wasn't it? Eve and everything else. And I met this girl, and she kind of felt she was kind of straightening me out. It wasn't Andrew, I'm safe. Um, but we were doing all right. And I went out with her for a couple of years, in fact. And, um, and mostly, we were fine. And, and then it got to a point, she was messing me about. I was just reminded of this recently. Uh, but she was messing me about a little bit. And, but you know, I thought I was in love. This is it. This, was, we're gonna, this is the whole hog, because it's uh, 16, 17, 18. You can't believe how much your parents don't know. Um, at 21, you can't believe how much they've learned, because you realise you've grown up, and actually what they said made a lot of sense. But I certainly didn't say that, say that at the beginning. So I was going out with this girl, and it was all going a bit wrong, to the point I'd turn up at her house, and she wouldn't be there. And her mum used to take the mickey out of me. Can you believe that? And I used to take it. She said, oh, she won't be in, and you're going to, she's got you on a piece of string. And this went on for quite a while. And I felt a bit bad about it. Anyway, um, at this point, you know, in my teenage years, I was doing whatever I wanted to do, and I knew best. And I could drive now, so that made me an adult. And I uh, couldn't vote yet, but anyway, that was, uh, I wouldn't have anyway. Uh, so I was at this stage in my life. And then what happened was, one day, I don't know what happened, uh, but a kind of a light switched on. I thought, well, I've got to end this. This is ridiculous. It's not going anywhere. And um, I made a really adult decision, uh, not based on emotions, that the relationship had to end. That, and I'd seen this other girl that I quite liked, um, <laughs> which helped the decision. Anyway, so I go around there and I said, Look, if you do this one more time, if, you, if I turn up and you're not here and you leave me waiting for an hour, I'm not, that's it, we're over. Sure, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't, and her mum was taking the mitt. And sure enough, the next week I thought, oh, I'm going to look so look forward to this, because I've had it, and actually... Uh, I was going to remove myself from the relationship. So I got round there, and sure enough, she was late, and off I went. And I joined my uh, brother up the pub in Avely, and uh, this girl wasn't there. I was very disappointed. I was re- felt ready to embark on a new relationship at this point. It's been a good half an hour since I finished the last one. <laughs> but she wasn't there. So anyway, I went back, and I went back to, that was a Saturday night, I went back to work on a Monday, and um, uh, the mum rang me up. And uh, so at this point, as a, if you recall, I've been a rebellious teenager, so most of the conversations with me and my parents were one of disagreement. They didn't realise just how wrong they were, um, and uh, they just couldn't see things from my point of view. So um, I, uh, I go to work, and I get a phone call from the mum, and she said, are you really serious about it? I said, no, no, we're, we're done. You know, you spoke to me uh, really rudely for two years, and she's, you know, I'm not... And she's let that, I mean, I can't repeat it uh, here. I wouldn't repeat it anywhere, but she really, really got angry and used words that none of you would use uh, in describing my character and what she'd love to see happen in my life. It was really bad. It was really bad. So I went home and I mentioned this to my dad. And I said, I can't believe what she said. For two years I've stuck up with this. He said, well, I'm not having that. I said, no, 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 don't get involved. Don't get involved. I've dealt with it. We're finished. We don't want any aggro. He said, right, no problem, Ian, you can trust me. And I went to work the next day, and I got in. My mum said, your dad's got something to say to you. I thought, oh, what have I done now? You know, it's normally something bad. And he said, well, you're not going to like it, but, you know, uh, I don't like the way you were spoken to, and you're my son. 
and no one speaks to you like that. So I've been around there. I've had a go at the dad and said, if he wants to take it outside, we will. Um, and I've had a go at the mum, and I've had a go, and I won't say the girl's name, but I've had a go at her as well about the way she treated him. No one speaks to my son like that. He said, I know you're going to be annoyed, but that's just the way it is. I went, yeah, you know, because I didn't know how to react to that. I thought, yeah, let's be annoyed, because that's how I normally end any conversation with my parents at that time. So I stormed off upstairs with a great big smile on my face. So I thought, oh, it wasn't about what I did, or what I'd been saying, or the angst that had been going on. My dad went, went around there because he loved me. And it was as simple as that. It wasn't about what, if it was about what I'd been doing for the last two years, uh, it wasn't that reason. If it was about um, how much I'd been helping them out in the house at uh, that time, I mean, the rows we used to have, me and my brother, about who would do the Sunday washing up and who would dry. Um, and there's always that line, isn't it? Leave that one there to soak for mum later. <laughs> the hard stuff. You know, nothing was going right, but my dad did it solely because he loved me, not because of what I'd done in those few years. It wasn't about achievement. The letter that Paul writes to these churches in southern Galatia, he wrote this around 49 AD, was to attack the teaching that the Gentiles, that the non-Jewish had uh, been getting, that they had to obey the Jewish law to be saved. This was the only way to God. You have to be right with God by the law. You have to live by the Bible, and they're the standards that you have to keep. And that's the only way to be right with God, to be restored, to be forgiven. And it was a, it was a work of a faith by works. It wasn't so much God loved you, as you are, it was God will love you if you do. If you do something, you've got to earn it. And it was a faith by works. And the cry of the Reformation was that you couldn't earn faith. This is what Luther discovered. You're only justified by faith. You can't earn it. You accept it. And it's God that justifies us. And he justifies us by, by through faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And that is the only way. Faith in Christ, sola Christos, Christ alone and his works are the only way that we can come to God. We have to come to the one who said in John's Gospel, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. And that's a revolutionary, antagonistic statement to make. And people still get offended by it to this day. Surely all roads lead to God. Surely if I'm a good person. Surely if I help the poor. Surely if I give to the needy. That will get, I'm a good bloke. I help the lady across the road or the man across the road or I feed the hungry. I don't need God to do that. That will, I'm a good bloke. And if I get to heaven, God is lucky to have me. And that's false teaching. It's false teaching. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. And we either believe that word of God or we don't. And it is revolutionary. It is antagonistic. And it's not politically correct, but it is biblically correct. And I spend my life telling people this. And some accept it. And for the life of me, I can't understand. Some don't. He says, I am the one who pays for your sin, your wrongdoing. I am the one who makes you right with God. I am the one who promises to give you the Holy Spirit. I am the one who came that you can have eternal life. I am the one who came that you can have life in all its fullness. I am the one who never leaves you or forsakes you. I am the one who lives in you. Do you think we could earn that? Can't earn it. Let me throw out a few questions. You'll know the answer because you're all good and you haven't put your hands up for the Bible because you know the Scriptures. Uh, back to front, which is good. So let's uh, have a say. What do you think? Do you think? Do you think you're right with God because you help people? No, the murmur says. Is it because you talk about Him a lot? 
No. No. Is it because of your wealth? Murmur and laughter. Is it because of your health? Is it because what you do for him? It's only because of your faith in him alone. He says, trust in me alone. He's saying, I'm the only one. And that message is one of love and that message is one that's lost. And it's lost in the world. Sometimes Christians can do that. We can almost preach a faith by works, which we'll come on to. Doesn't James say that elsewhere? Your faith without works is dead. It means nothing. That seems like a contradiction. We call that attention in the text. And we're going to look at that later on to see what we think about it. But the message, I think, sometimes is lost in the church. I speak to people within the con- our congregations and they're trying to earn God's favour. You can't. You can please him, but he, he's already... He's, he's have stuff now, isn't he? I'm, not, I'm not having a good day. He's already, he's already, he already loves you. Yeah, it's like he's gone to speak to the ex-girlfriend's mum and say, don't you, don't you do that. I, he's mine. That's my son or that's my daughter. Not because of what, what we're doing. It's because of who we are in Christ. We're clo- we just sang it. Clothed in his righteousness alone. His righteousness, not our own. If it's our own, we're in trouble. Uh, because all fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. All fall short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or everybody, apart from one person. So it's only in Christ alone that people can be saved. And he's the one that would say to us this morning, if you're caught in that bondage, like the church in Galatia was, that they had to earn stuff, they had to do stuff, to earn God's love. You can't, but he's the one that would say to you this morning that he's the only one where you can find real hope. He's the one who says, I am the light of the world. He points to himself. He says, I'm the chief cornerstone. He's holding it all together. He says, I love you for you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. It's not about if you're a misbehaving teenager. I care about that and we're going to have to be reconciled, but I love you. It doesn't stop my love for you. I'm your comforter. I'm the one who came to earth to show you who God was like and how he would live and what he would say and how he would treat people. He is the one who is fully human and fully God. That keeps you up till three in the morning. I am the one, only one true righteous person without sin. So therefore he's the only one that can go to the cross. I was the one who was let down and that was scarred, scorned by the very people I came to rescue. I took your sin on the cross and dealt with it. God's justice made right through him and him alone because your sin is on him. He's the one, though, that didn't leave it on the cross because he defeated death. He's the one that has the victory that he invites us to share in. He's the one that says, look, sin, the penalty of sin, does not hold you anymore. It's been paid for. You have been bought by my blood. You are mine. I am yours. You're my son. You're my daughter. I'm your brother. I'm your king. I'm your God. You don't have to live with guilt anymore. You don't have to live with fear anymore. My power is in you. I mean, that is amazing, isn't it? His power is in me and you. He says, I've got your destiny in my hands. Nobody can ultimately take that away. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God for Christ Jesus. We don't have to fear it. And he says, you can stand in my power. If you have to sum all of that up into three words, he's saying to you this morning, you are mine. You are mine. He has you. Powerful, powerful, powerful. But we can forget it's only in him. Only in Jesus Christ. Sola Christos. 
And they were the same. They forgot that Galatian church. They were losing the message. They were listening to false words of trying to earn their salvation. Paul calls them at the beginning of chapter 3 foolish. He says, who has bewitched you? Who's teaching you this false stuff? He was writing to the church in Galatia to to remind them of the grace and mercy of God. Mercy is getting nothing of what we deserve. Grace is getting everything we don't deserve. God's word says you're foolish to think that you're made right with God by anything other than Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. That's, um, That's difficult to take in sometimes, isn't it? He is yours. You are his. Uh, Where am I? Okay. So the first point I want to say to you this morning, the the big doctrine that came out from the Reformation, uh, justified. Justified never sin. Justified by Christ alone. We need to keep to the message. Verse 11 to 15, if you look at it, tells us quite a challenge in the Bible how Paul challenges Peter. We say Saint Peter. Well, Peter was getting it wrong. His character was being shamed a little bit. Paul, Paul called him out on it in front of other people. We don't like doing that as Christians, do we? Uh, if we do, it normally starts with, I'll say this in love, and then we come out with it. Um, but Peter, he's got, he, uh, sorry, Paul has gone to Peter and said, what are you doing? You, you're showing no integrity. You're living like a Gentile when you're with the Gentiles. You're living like a Jew when you're with the Jew. And you're not really, you've got a false message and you're promoting it and you're encouraging others to do the same. He's effectively saying that we're only justified by Christ alone, and you've got to keep on with that message. He challenges him, verse 11, he opposed him to his face. He led others to walk away from the truth. Paul challenges him to forcing them to accept the Jewish customs. The law could not save them. Circumcision couldn't save them. Only faith in Christ could save them. And it's important to us uh, this morning in our world, isn't it, to stick to the message not to be swayed by who we're with. Sometimes, possibly, that's other Christians. Uh, to stand firm on sound doctrine. The world's message of all roads lead to God. No, they don't. All, all other roads lead to somewhere else. Jesus is the only way. And we get laughed at for saying that. And probably, uh, in a not-too-distant future, we'll be persecuted for it as well, to say that is the only way. But that's the Bible. And that's what God says. We just heard about people who won't deny their faith. They consider it a privilege following Jesus despite the persecution. We've got to keep to the message, and we can wander off it. We can say, well, we do this. We provide, and I'm not knocking any of these ministries. I think they're brilliant. We do mums and toddlers. We're, you know, the mums and toddlers, uh, I think churches in this country are the biggest provider of, uh, of young children's groups. Uh, we employ more youth workers than the other organisation. That's brilliant. I love that. But people won't be saved by going along to one of them unless they put their faith in Jesus Christ. The people running them don't get saved by doing it, unless their faith is in Jesus Christ. I can go on Alpha course, I can teach Alpha, I can tell others about Christ, I could bring many others to Christ, but unless my faith is in him, that doesn't save me. It's good, it's good works, and it's great. Other people will be rewarded for it for eternity, but I won't if my faith is in how many people I bring to Christ, because that's not what does it. It's my faith in him and the cross. So whatever we're doing out in the world may laugh. Good deeds are good. Of course they are. You know, this term do-gooder, uh, used as a slur, I still can't get my head around that. It's good to do good, but it doesn't save you. That's just an outwork in which we'll look at in a second. Verse 15 and 16 tells us the answer is that we're not justified by observing the law. I mean, do you think you observe the law? Do you think you keep every command that God gives? Do, do they really believe that? 
I mean, other traditions say they have people in the church who are infallible. I mean, I find that laughable. Only one. We're not justified, uh, verse 15 and 16, by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. By observing the law, no one will be justified. You can't. You can't live up to it. But we're going to do a test because you might think you can. So we're going to try it now. And I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up because some of this is quite punchy. Um, But, well, you could put your hand up to this first one because if it is you, I actually kind of do want to know it. Uh, If we look at the Ten Commandments, we're not going to do all ten, we're going to look at four of them, okay, because this is a good test. Anyone here murdered? I mean, I wouldn't put your hand up if you had because (laughs) you're not going to get invited to any of the meat and eat meals, honestly. Uh, But... Have you murdered? So that's all right then, I'm observing the law. I've not murdered anybody, so I'm a good person. God is lucky to have me. But then, of course, Jesus says later on, doesn't he? Anyone who's angry with his brother or sister is subject to judgment. Anyone here never been angry with another Christian? Oh, dear. Okay. Don't put your hand up. See me after if this is you. Anyone here committed adultery? So we're good. No, I've not committed adultery. That's good. Oh, anyone ever never look at anyone lustfully? Because if you do, Jesus says you're committing adultery in the heart. Again, I won't ask for the hands up. Then Jesus says, uh, sorry, the Ten Commandments don't bear false testimony. Well, you know, I don't think I'll do that. Then Jesus says, I'll have to give an account for every careless word I've ever said. How are you getting on so far? Do you think you can be justified by the law? And let's do our final one. Don't cover. This is my favourite. This is my favourite. I, well, I don't cover. Surely I don't cover. And then Jesus says, be on your guard against greed. Have I never looked at what someone else has got and think, you know, I'd like one of those? Simple as that. Can you see how we cannot be justified by the law? But the law sends us to the cross. We look at it and think, yeah, I can't. I'm doing my best, but I'm, I'm not going to make that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So who justifies me? Is it myself or is it Christ? Only in Christ. How are we doing? It says, doesn't it, by observing the law, no one will be justified. I've got the law to know that I'm wrong a lot of the time. I can get things right as well. But verse 16 is clear. You're justified by faith in Christ. And what that means is, for us this morning, is it's freedom. It's finished. Wasn't that what Jesus cried from the cross? It is finished. Isn't that what Hebrews 10 says? That when this great high priest offered his sacrifice once and for all, not like the other religious leaders had to keep standing, he sat down because it's done. And to deny... I was talking to someone yesterday who said, well, he won't forgive this and I'm going to go to hell. We had this conversation. I said, denying the work of the cross. He's paid for it. You're free. He doesn't want you to go and do that but you're free. He's paid for it. There's nothing you've done that he hasn't paid for. Of course I go to the law and realise the state I'm in. And we have to get an idea of that. I have to be aware of my sinful nature to know that I need the forgiveness and the love. But my sin is paid for. And do you know what they call that? What do they call that? Good news. Someone's paid all my debts. That's what gospel means. It's good news. And the church in Galatia wasn't getting good news. They were, they were being taught that you've got to earn your salvation. You're justified by faith in Christ. It's final, it's free, your sin is forgotten. God says, I will remember your sins no more. Amazing freedom. But we have to live with that freedom, my second point, with integrity. 
We have got good news, but that good news should lead to integrity. Um, there's a term, a uh, theological term, called antinomianism. I don't know if you've heard of that before, but it basically means I'll go and do whatever I want to do because God will forgive me. And I can go and do whatever because he said he'll forgive anything. So I'll go and leave my life and do whatever I want because it doesn't matter because God's going to forgive me. I'm just going to keep sinning intentionally. Christ has paid for it. In fact, the more I do wrong, the more his grace and mercy can increase and the more the power of his cross can increase because I have to be forgiven more. And it's totally, that's not living a faith with any kind of integrity. It's hard to argue against antinomianism because it's an outrageous grace of God. You know, the thief on the cross didn't go to any church. I don't think he said anything about repentance. He didn't say a sinner's prayer. He said, remember me. And that was enough. God's grace is outlandish. But we must live a life of integrity. Integrity. Faith is in the heart. True faith that's in the heart will want to please God. When I recognise what he's done for me, my life now is about him. Now, I've got a little story, because it's all getting a bit heavy, but true story. In my early trader days, I say that, I wasn't a trader then, um, I was about 16 or 17, and the managing director, uh, I, was, I was only sending telexes, remember the telex machine? Yeah, yeah, I used to send the telexes, confirming the trades, and I was in the international dealing room, and um, the managing director, uh, who, who was all right with me, but he, he said to me, look, you know you need to look for another job. This is a, a stopgap for you. You're only ever going to be a telex operator. And so I went home encouraged. And <laughs> said to my dad, I'm only going to be a telex. I couldn't even afford a suit. I mean, I used to go in grey farers, blue blazer, and plastic crocodile effect shoes, and somehow kept the job. I'm not sure. It took me a year to save up for my first suit. That's an aside. I was just looking for sympathy. It's got nothing to do with the uh, story. I'm in my early trader days, and this guy says to me, look, you're never going to be a trader, just so you know. You're not going to do it. I said, okay. But, you know, I went home and spoke to my dad, and it made me more determined. And I thought, right, well, I'm not going to have that. Uh, If it's not here, I'll be somewhere else. So I signed up. The exam then used to be the SCP, Stock Exchange Practice Exam, quite a difficult exam. And, uh, but I, because I was under 18, I wasn't allowed to take it. So I signed up for the junior Stock Exchange Practice Exam. Junior. I was a junior. Junior Stock Exchange Practice Exam. The firm said, that's fine, you can do that. We're not paying because we don't think you're ever going to make it. And so I signed up for this exam and um, uh, got myself into a bit of trouble where on the day of the exam I couldn't go into work. Um, because I'd fallen over and cut myself like 13 stitches in my, in my chest. Or 11, it was actually. 13 sounds better, but it's because I had two internally, so I count 13. Um, and uh, so I couldn't go in, and I, and I thought, that's it. You know, he's been proved right, I'm not going to do it. And then what happened was, that Christmas, this was around November time, that Christmas, um, we used to invite some of the brokers in. I say we, I was on a telex machine, I didn't invite anybody, I didn't know anybody. But the dealers invited some brokers in. And we went into the dealing room, and I remember saying to this one trader, not the one who said I wouldn't ever make it, uh, his name was Leo, and he was a bit of a legend, really. He's like someone I really looked up to. He drove a BMW before BMWs were popular. It was unbelievable, and I was quite impressed in those days with those kind of things. And, um, and I said to him, well, I'm still going to, I'll just take the exam again. I was very arrogant. I didn't have the money to do it. I didn't even have a suit on. I still had my blue blazer. And, and he said, oh, that's really good. And I went to this, um, this uh, they had drinks in the, in the, in the uh, not in the dealing room, just in the room opposite the dealing room. And I had these brokers in. And I've gone in, I was five foot six then. I've grown a lot since then, about two and a half inches. But I was very small. My nickname in the city was Smurf. And, and it was, it still is. 
um, although some call me the Rev now, um, but I went into the room feeling quite small because these were quite imposing guys. And uh, he was what we call a member of the stock exchange. He was a silver badge. I was a blue badge, which meant I was worse than something you scrape off your shoe. I mean, he was really low of the low. And I went in, and as I went in, it was only to give him a message. You had to call everybody sir. And, he said, and he's, I went, sir, there's a phone call. He goes, oh, hold on a second. He said to all the people, he said, this is here, and he's going to be really good one day. He's going to make it because he's got the right heart and the right attitude, and I really believe in him. And I'll tell you, I walked out of that room not feeling five foot six. I felt, I felt like six foot six, and obviously that was an illusion, but I felt it. I felt it. And you know, the next two years, all I wanted to do was prove him right. All I wanted to do was say, that man had faith in me, and I'm now going to work as hard as I can to make him right. And I just was transformed by those few words that he encouraged me and had faith in me. And this morning, God would say he has faith in you. That he's for you. You're his son or his daughter. And because of faith in Christ, you've been adopted into his family. He's for you and you can achieve so much. Because the Bible says he lives in you. And faith is in the heart and wanting to please when you get that encouragement from God. It doesn't mean to say we go down that antinomism route and just get on with stuff. Verses 17 to 21, Paul talks about that. In verse 17, does Christ promote sin? And he answers, absolutely not. He doesn't promote sin. Of course he doesn't promote sin. Um, But he says in verse 19, I died to the law that I might live for God. We've died to our old self. I've looked at the law and said, yep, I'm I'm a Roman, effectively. But Christ has paid for it, only in Christ. And now I'm going to live for him. I've been called, I've been challenged, I'm going to be committed, I'm going to say, I now live for God. And and he'll use me amazingly. Paul goes on to say, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Only Christ. Christ lives in you. Do you believe that? I mean, he lives in you. He said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you another like me, the counsellor, the Holy Spirit. And he lives in you. And do you know what he wants you to do with that? He wants you to go out into the world and, and the Spirit just emanate. And lives will be changed. If you have faith, real faith, and pray for those opportunities, lives get changed. It's amazing. Christ lives in you and he's bursting to shine from you. But finally, we're going to have to address this. Because otherwise, all you're, going to, you're all going to quit tomorrow. I'm going to have people in my office say, I'm not doing that anymore. You said faith by works doesn't count. So I'm going to give up. And then I'm going to have to do it all. But I won't. Um, because it does count. Faith in action, my last point. And this is where we've got the contradiction. The tension in the text, or so it seems. James chapter 2, verse 14. Said, he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Isn't that a contradiction? Doesn't that seem to say that actually I've got a salvation by works theology, that I can go out and do good, and actually uh, if I don't do that, my faith is dead? It really isn't that. It's a challenge uh, for all of us. All of us should be, there should be an outworking of our faith. James James is making a point that action follows faith. If I have real faith and gratitude, I'm going to want, like I wanted to please that trader and and, uh, respect that he had faith in me, I'm taking 
my faith in God and what he's done for me and using it in response to do things for him. But faith without action, in a sense, is dead. Because if you're the third person in that story that James talks about, the person in need, if he's the person where it says, I haven't got any clothes, and I haven't got any food, and he's talking to me, and I say to him, well, go in peace, bless you, brother. Keep warm and well-fed and do nothing. My faith to him is dead. It means nothing. He's looking at me saying, your faith is dead to me because you didn't help me. So that's where we get the works from. We have been called to help the world, whether it's praying for persecuted church or, or giving the guy in the high street a sausage roll or putting clothes to the homeless or whatever way you serve. Um, it's a result of faith. It doesn't earn you salvation. It's a result of it. It's only in Christ we can have that faith. The faith in action is response to what Christ has done for me and for you. To the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3.15, Jesus, the words are, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Faith without action is distasteful. If we, can, if we proclaim faith and worship a God that cares for his world, yet do nothing for the world, that's lukewarm. It's distasteful. It doesn't mean we're not saved. It's just distasteful. Action is a sign of faith. It's because, it's because of your faith in him alone. In him alone. He says, trust in me alone. I'm the only one. He is the only one. But it starts, doesn't it, with our acceptance of what Christ has done for you. Resulting, of course, with our faith in action. It's a response to him. As we serve... As you serve, we need to remember it's for him. As I worship, I need to remember I'm worshipping for God. When I remember everything I say or do, I have to remember I have to do it all in the name of the Lord. There's times in church life and family life and work life that you'll be let down. You will be let down. And it's easy to criticise and sometimes it's say, well, I'm not going to do it anymore. But remember, when you, when you do that, it's not to me. It hurts me and it hurt the leadership. But it's God's church. And everything you do, you're doing for him. I'm grateful, but we're doing it for him. We need to remember who we do it for. It's his church and his glory. If someone forgets to stack the chairs, then I'll do it and I'll do it for him. And I try not to moan about it, but I'm not perfect. Uh, Or if the chairs are not set out, sometimes we do it. And actually teaches me a lesson more than anybody else. Um, If someone needs to make the teas, it's not beyond me, but I'm doing it for him. Because I don't do it for others, I'm doing it for him. I need to remember where my service comes from. And I need to be reminded of that as well. It's not that I'm earning his salvation. I've got that. It's a response to it. Don't get caught up in words, in works, sorry. That's where the despondency and negativity come in. It's a burden. That's where ministry is a burden. I'm in ministry and you're in ministry for him. For him. Must remember the reason we do what we do. We can all have our gifts whether it's worship, preaching, leading, making the teas and coffees, mums and tots, all these things are great. But remember the reason we do it. Earlier on in Revelation 2, uh, the church in Ephesus, they were warned. And he said, I know your deeds, I know your hard work, I know your perseverance, I know you've endured hardship. Yet in verse 2 he says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Repent. They did all the works but they've lost touch with the fact 
that they were to love God. You know, as I was preparing this, I have to tell you, and I'll confess it, I repented this week myself, because actually I get caught up in my own strength and gifts and think, let's drive the church forward and let's see growth and let's run the alphas and let's challenge this attitude and whatever it is. And sometimes I think, well, I don't really think it, but I act as if it depends on me. And I have to repent of that pride. It's not, it's about God. And I have to keep offering it over to him in prayer and say, it's him that will grow this church. I'll do what I need to do, but it's him. And whatever you're doing, it's for God. And you need to repent if you think you can do that in your own strength. You can't. It's got to be for him and through him. He is in you and is itching to emanate from you. The Bible says, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And I had to do that this week. And I found great release and freedom in that he's paid for that sin on the cross and releases me to start today, which is plan A all over again. And faith is that, isn't it? It's an adventure. It's a real adventure. When I know, God, I'm not sure what to do in this next situation, so I'm going to pray to you, and let's just see what you do, rather than me getting too stressed and strained about it. That's a real adventure. When God answers those prayers in ways that I didn't expect or imagine, I can only give my thanks to him. It's only faith in Christ and his works alone that we're saved, only in him. But we do serve for him as a result of it. The one who said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Let's get reminded again of what I said at the beginning. I'm the one who pays for your sin. This is God. I'm the one who makes you right with God. I'm the one who promises the Holy Spirit. I'm the one who came that you'd have eternal life. I'm the one who never leaves you or forsakes you. I'm the one who lives in you. It's not because you help people. It's not because you just talk to me. It's not because of your wealth or your health. It's not even what you do for me. It's because of your faith in me alone. It's because of your trust in me alone. I'm the only one you can put that trust in. I'm the only one where you can find ultimate hope. I'm the only one who said I'm the light of the world. I'm the only one that holds it all together and I'm the chief cornerstone. I love you for you. I'm the comforter. I will comfort you. I'm the only one who came on this earth to show you. I'm the only one that was fully human and fully God. I'm the only true righteous one without sin. I was let down, scorned by the very people I came to help. But I took your sin on the cross. And God's justice for you has been made right because of me, as your sin was on me when I went to the cross. I was the one who defeated death. I'm the one who has the victory. I'm the one that says sin holds you no more. You have been bought and you are valued by my blood. You are mine and I am yours. You are no more to feel guilty and you're to have no more fear. My power is in you. I have your destiny in my hands. Nobody can take that away. You stand in my power. And in those three short words, you are mine. We need to really grasp that. It's only in Christ. Powerful. But we forget. So don't forget. It's all about him. Don't shy away from the message. It's all about him. And really what he calls us to do, as he says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you, is go and live it. Faith is a journey. Faith is exciting. Faith is it's just amazing what God can do. But let's just remember, it's only because of our faith in what he did on the cross that we are called Christians. That's the only reason. Let me pray for you, and then uh, Christine will come up. And we're going to sing, really, you probably guessed it from the words um, I've said, but we're going to sing in Christ alone. It's only in Christ. And Stuart Townend has a great gift of writing sort of like old style, if you like, hymns. It tells the whole story. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power 
of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No scheme of hell or man, I can't remember, uh, can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the death of Christ. I live, live life in all its fullness. Let's pray together and then we'll sing that. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you, Lord, for those reformers that really preached your word, some of them to death. Some put to death because they printed Bibles. Some because they protested the Protestants of the abuse of the then, going, the, the then church. And Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we now have and we know that we're justified only by faith and grace and in you alone. All the glory goes to you. And I pray, Lord, that we'll be a sent people going out into the world to spread that good news, not to be discouraged when the world laughs, not to be turned when other doctrines creep in, but to remember it's only in you that men and women can be saved. And we bless you for that, Lord, and thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.